and this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. God says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, many of us tonight may have tasted and seen that you, our Lord, are good. I pray that we would taste again tonight and be reminded. And God, some here tonight may have never experienced a good taste when it comes to God, when it comes to the church or your word. And so, Lord, for those, I pray that their hearts would be opened and that you would show yourself to be the good, good Father that you are, that we as a community tonight would gather together and taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the other day there was a slight traffic jam right outside my house. There was a water main crew working. They were blocking a lane of traffic. And it was around dinner time. And traffic was backed up all the way, just solid. I wouldn't have known that except for the fact that the very impatient man driving the Honda Accord kept reminding reminding us that he was outside our window with his blaring horn over and over and over and over again. So finally I did what every reasonable person with his three children standing right next to him would do in that moment, right? I opened up the window, I leaned my head out, and I said, Shut up! Except I screamed it. I didn't just say it quietly like that. And of course, what happened instantly from the dinner table right next to me? (gasps) Dad! All three of them. You're not supposed to say that. And in another shining parent moment, I gave the good parenting excuse. Adults can say some things that kids can't say. (laughs) So now all my kids are super excited about becoming adults so they can say things like, shut up, to people. Um, The point, though, is, I mean, I realized then, and as I was thinking about the story writing the sermon, we teach kids to do things that we don't do ourselves. And we know that, right? We teach them that saying, shut up, is not nice. And then, it doesn't even take much, just a guy honking his horn, to make me want to scream it at people. But we teach them not to say it, because in our minds, there's something that seems off about yelling that at someone else. So we want our kids to be raised in a situation where they don't feel the need 
to have to release their anger by screaming at someone, right? We teach kids things that we don't practice ourselves. Um, you guys all know the golden rule, right? Say it with me. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. A little shy to talk in church, but I think most of you, yeah, we know the golden rule. But did you know that the golden rule was actually a line that Jesus spoke in the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount? Did you know? It was. Jesus, this isn't just a principle we teach our kids. This is something that Jesus was admonishing, preaching, exhorting the people who were gathered on the mount that day. And I think it is an example of something we teach our kids to do, and then we don't do it. Or maybe you'd say, okay, I don't have kids, so I I can get out on that. Well, it's something that maybe you were taught as a child to do, but as an adult, we feel like we get to, I don't know, just pick and choose the moments when this is applicable to the situation. And when I feel like someone has crossed the line, I can do something to them that I wouldn't want done to me. So tonight, you heard that first verse that Peter said, uh, talks about some pretty terrible things that we teach are not good. So he talks about malicious activity, deceitful things, uh, being hypocritical, envious, and slandering. And we can all agree, I hope, that those are not things we want done to us. We don't want people to slander us in private or public. We don't want people to say or do malicious things to cut away at our status or at our identity. We certainly don't want people to be envious of us. Uh, For those of you who were around this past summer, we learned that envy and jealousy are sometimes used as synonyms, but they're very different things. Jealousy is the much tamer of the two. You might not mind if someone's jealous of you. In fact, you may, even though it might not be a good thing, you may like it a little bit if someone's a little jealous of you. But envy is not something you want someone to have toward you because envy means their motivations have been turned from just desiring something to actually wanting to act, to get something away from you, to strip you of what you have so they can be in the position that you are. So you don't want people to be envious of you either, even if you think you might want to be jealous of you. Um, Certainly not deceitful, right? Another one I try to teach my children all the time. You can be honest with us. You don't need to be deceitful. So we're going to look through these three verses and find three main points that help us to see that we as Christians, and even if you're here tonight as a seeker and not a follower of Christ, we as people can simplify our lives by not just soaking in this scripture, but living this scripture out, letting it come, uh, understand in our minds, and be played out in our hands. The first point, if you have a note, uh, a worship folder of you handed to you when you came in, you can write these down. The, the first blank, uh, point number one, is God desires kindness. This is kind of the synopsis I gave you in the big idea. God desires kindness. Read with me again in verse 1. Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander. You can leave that verse up as we talk about this. 
You see, one of the common narratives in our day is that we are all basically good people. People are basically good, and there's a few evil people who seem to kind of ruin it for the rest of us. And depending on who you are, the bad people might be politicians. The bad people might be the police. The bad people might be the corporate bigwigs. Or the people on welfare might be the professors in higher education. See, each of us have our own bad people, the people who we think are ruining it for others. But in general, we think most people are good. They are bad, usually because they don't agree with what we see as reasonable or good. But this thinking is very contradictory to the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, anyway, and contradictory to what Peter is teaching here. This phrase that he uses indicates that to us. So the the opening line there is, so put away. First of all, the so is important. It's sort of like a therefore. He's continuing the thought that he's had. Remember, this is a letter. Normally, when you get a letter, you don't sit down and read three or four sentences and then go away for a week and come back and read three or four sentences, right? But that's what we're doing here. So let's be reminded of what is before this transition that he uses as so. What's before it is, remember, you are called out. You are called out of this world. You are citizens of heaven. And because of that, your eyes don't look down to find hope in things that are fading away. Your eyes look up to find hope in everlasting power of Jesus Christ. It has been given to you as a gift. This is what Peter is talking about in chapter 1. He's reminding people that they have a hope and an expectation that is forever in the new life they have been given in Christ. He says all of those things, and then he gets to here and he says, so then, take off. So put away. This phrase can be translated in many ways. Take off, put away, clean house. But it's indicative of the fact that Peter assumed these people, Christians, had something on. You don't walk up to someone who doesn't have any clothes on and tell them to take off their clothes. Hopefully you don't walk up to many people ever and tell them to take off their clothes. But that is the, that's the analogy that Peter is giving here, to, to put off or take off like you would a jacket or a shirt. So you don't walk up to someone, that probably would have been a, this, the better analogy, right? You don't talk up to someone without a jacket and say, take off your jacket, but I guess we know where my mind went. <clears throat> you don't walk up to someone without a jacket and say, take off your jacket. So Peter's saying, these are some things that you have on. Here are some things you're wearing. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Think for a moment. Is he right? Are you wearing those things? If you just think back to your natural reactions your instincts, 
Think about the, back to the times when you give in and, you, and instead of being slow to anger, you're quick to anger. In my house, we talk about slow anger and blow anger. We usually talk about it when mom or dad have had blow anger instead of slow anger. In those moments, what's on? Maybe one of these things. You see, Peter is trying to show the church there surrounding the region around Rome and us reading it here as the living, breathing word of God that just because you have this living hope, just because you have been saved, just because you've trusted and put your faith in Christ, it does not mean that you don't still have things on that need to be taken off. It doesn't mean that you just get to forget about all of these clothes, or you may say baggage, that you're carrying around. You're not just instantly cured or healed of these propensities that your sinful nature pulls you into. So Peter says, here's what you do with these things. This is where the simplify your life thing comes in. He's giving prescriptive things, but it's, they're so simple. He just says, so, take them off. So, put them away. But it's not that easy, right? For me, you know, with the, with the guy outside with, with the accord, I didn't slander him, really, but we could say that these, these things came out a little bit, right? That, that's the, that was the beginning of slander. Screaming shut up at someone is a precursor to something else. Because imagine, if you will, this did not happen, and I'm thankful. Imagine he rolled down his window and decided to engage. Now, some of you know me pretty well, others not so much, but do you imagine I would have just shut my window and turned back around and sat in my dining room table had he engaged me? Chances are slim, right? So while I may not have slandered him, I, I stepped off of the edge there, and I was out there, and, and he didn't come back, so I was able to get back unscathed. But you see, <clears throat> we must be reminded that um, these things that are, that are on us, that entangle us. Uh, Paul, the apostle, talks about uh, sin that so easily entangles us. And the picture there is that there is a person who is tangled up in a vine or in some rope that they can't get out. And Paul says that that happens easily with sin. If you've been watching the Olympics, you know how easily a skier gets tangled up in the, the fencing, the orange fencing that lines the the ski run, right? They fall, and you're thinking, oh, it's cool, they got it. They're just sliding. And then all of a sudden, smack! And then they start getting tangled. Paul says to us, sin is like that. You may fall, or you may step out to just say, say one thing to someone, but very quickly, you're hitting that orange fence, and you're all tangled up, and one ski's up in the air, and one foot is behind you, and you have the poles, and the... the fence poles and the orange stuff is all over it, and you don't know how you even got there. Experienced that in your life before? Peter says, put away 
the things of the past. But the problem is, we can't do that. Right? We don't have the power in and of ourselves to just take off malice. I can't just get rid of envy or slander. Sure, I could get better at handling them. I could have a trigger that I know when that trigger gets pulled, I need to do something, right? Whether it's take a step back, take a deep breath, go outside and get some fresh air, whatever it is. I can, I can work on some habits and some um, practices. But the fact is, I can't untangle myself from sin. There's only one who has done that, and that'll come up here in just a minute. But point one is that God desires kindness. Peter's teaching us that God's desire is not these things. He desires us to put them away. And the good thing about kindness is it has awesome consequences, church. If you have ever seen the show Brain Games, you may have seen an episode where this is illustrated perfectly. My oldest son, Micah, loves this show. It's all about showing us how we are so easily tricked out in everyday life. And so they'll use magicians, they'll use sleight-of-hand things, they'll use um, pictures and and videos, and they'll try to do memory games and all these things. And there was this one part of one episode that illustrates the fact that kindness has really great consequences. What happened was an unsuspecting person was coming into a room to just take a little survey, and they were going to get, you know, paid $20. So they're coming in the room, and someone who's a part of the whole gag is walking, pretending to talk on the phone as they pass in the lobby. And the person on the phone who's in on it slams into the person, almost knocking them over, and then takes the phone off of his ear and says, watch where you're going! Even though it was apparent to us and the person who's unsuspecting that it was not their fault at all. So they have different reactions, you know, and then they keep going. And they come into the room where the survey is going to take place. And they sit down, and in front of them are three bowls of chili. And two giant uh, jars of hot sauce. One labeled mild, and one labeled blazing, with fire coming out of the label. And there's a guy in a white coat there, and they sit down, and he says, you're going to serve this chili to the person who's behind me. That's two-way glass. They can't see you. Uh, you need to choose which hot sauce to put in their chili. And who walks and sits down in the room next to them? The guy with the phone who just slammed into them. And time and time again, they get the most satisfying looks on their faces, and they take a big spoonful of the fire sauce and just put it in there. Time and time again. Now, I don't, you know, it's not a scientific study, so I don't know if maybe they just didn't show the ones who did the mild, but a lot of people did hot, and that's the point. Okay, and then it was over. Now, the next five, they did that with about five people. The next five, same exact scenario to a T, except the guy in the white coat, instead of standing when they walked in and then just telling them what was going on, he was standing at the side of the table. They walked in, he said, hey, how are you today? Oh, I love those glasses. Those are really great. They, they really look great on your face. Have a seat right here. Uh, could I get you some water? 
And they said, yeah, sure. Pours me water. Man, how was your day been? Really good. Thanks. Oh, yeah, yeah, really good. Here you go. Have some water. All right, so here's what I have for you. There's going to be someone who's going to walk into this room right here. He explains the whole thing, right? You can do these things. Time and time again, the person looks a little bit satisfied, a little contemplative, and then takes the mild sauce, puts it in the chili. Why? Because kindness has consequences. God knows what happens when his church is unleashed from the bonds of malice and envy and slander and deceit and hypocrisy. He knows that they'll walk out, not tangled by these sins, but ready and prepared to be kind. So simple, right? To be kind to the people that they interact with. And God knows that that kindness has consequences for other people's daily lives. Church, we must remember that although we can't do this kindness thing on our own, and like I said, we'll get to that in a minute, kindness has consequences. And the reason that God desires kindness is because when the people of God are not easily entangled with the sin that so, so easily swallows us up, we are freed to show a unique kindness to the people around us who are yearning for someone to just be real and genuine and caring and compassionate. And you have been given the gift. You who are in Christ Jesus. The gift to be able to, to put away the conniving, backstabbing, unethical, slandering ways of your past. Not only does God desire an unnatural kindness, but number two shows us that God is nurturing us for growth. God is nurturing you. The blank is nurturing. God is nurturing you for growth. So these three verses back up against each other seem kind of strange when you just read them. They don't, they don't seem to build that much. But as we go, you'll, you'll, I think, be able to sense a theme. Let's read verse 2 now. God is, he desires kindness, but he's nurturing us for growth. Verse 2 says this. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter says, when you put away the malice, slander, and so on and so forth, you're going to be left wanting. Because, remember what I said those people's faces looked like when they were about to get revenge? What did I say? I used a word. They looked satisfied. You could see it. It was written all over them. They were sitting, and when that guy stepped in front of that glass, they, they, it looked like they just won the lottery, some of them. They just, oh, and reach right for it. Why did they look satisfied? It's an easy answer. Because they were satisfied. It satisfied them. You and I wouldn't do these things. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't put on 
in the first place or have on us slander and malice and envy and deceit and hypocrisy if it didn't satisfy us. But what Peter is trying to illustrate here with this next verse is that while it may satisfy you, it's not good for you. Everyone's been to McDonald's. You know this. It might satisfy you, but it's not good for you. Instead of ordering the tall or the grande, you've gotten the venti and you've gotten the whipped cream and you've said, yeah, put some of the caramel sauce on top too. Because it was satisfying, not because it was good for you. When you want something that's good for you, you go to the things that God provided for healthiness, right? To vegetables, to, to lean meats. You cook in smaller amounts of oil instead of giant amounts of butter. Because while, and, and then we usually find, you know what, that was actually pretty satisfying too. But the point is, when we eat those things, we know that we're putting good things in. We're giving ourselves things that are healthy. They're good for us. So Peter, this is the image. He's taking us to the table. He's bringing Christians now into the dining room, and he's saying, you, you take off these other things, and what you do is you long for the pure spiritual milk like an infant does. There is nothing better for an infant than pure milk. You can't water down an infant's milk. It's not good for them. You can't put a little apple juice in there. You can, and they might drink it better, but it's not good for them. You see, you give it to them in its natural state, whether it's directly from their mom or from some synthetic blend like uh, formula or from a cow when they start to get older. But you give them milk because it's good for them and it's nurturing them. Peter is showing us that God is nurturing us for our growth if we will come to him to be satisfied. You see, when I step out and open up that window, I'm making a, a mountain out of a molehill. I understand that with this illustration. But when I, when I open that window, I'm opening and looking out away from what God wants for me. And I am saying, I'm going to get satisfied right here, right now. Oh, your, your four-year-old's right there. Doesn't matter. I'm going to get satisfied. And I'm seeking to be satisfied by my own devices. And Peter's saying, I understand you're going to have that temptation, but would you just turn around and look? Look at this spiritual milk that God has for you. Remember that kindness has consequences. When you long for this pure spiritual milk that God is giving you, there are good consequences. And the cool thing about the kindness thing, the, the illustration especially, but how we know that kindness affects others, is that, that the, the best consequence for kindness isn't a good thing for us. It's a good thing for others. So the more kind we are, the better it is for others, not necessarily for us. So it's a selfless activity. Showing kindness and compassion to others in the way that we were shown kindness and compassion by Jesus is a selfless act. And in that, our souls grow and flourish and bear fruit because we're not doing it for ourselves like I was when I opened the window. We're doing it for the good of others and for the glory of God. So God is nurturing you 
for growth. In order for us to grow up into salvation, the salvation that we have been given that was talked about in chapter 1, we must long for and enjoy the presence of God, the Word of God, the pure spiritual milk that was given to us by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why one of the things that we teach here at Connection Church is to preach the gospel to yourself daily, even moment by moment. What I mean by that is, in that moment that I had, preaching the gospel to myself would have been very simple. Listen, you want to take something out on this person to punish them. That's what I want. I wanted him to feel like what he was being. I'll leave it at that. I wanted him to feel like that. I didn't feel like he felt like it. I wanted to tell him so that he would feel like he was being that. So that was my desire. And the gospel is very simple right there. The gospel says, Larry, because Jesus felt ridiculed, persecuted, and even was killed because of what you had done, you don't have to get that feeling. Jesus died already. Jesus took on all the punishment and all the ridicule you deserved and you can't imagine so that you don't have to give any out. I don't have to win. I don't have to try to make him feel bad. Because when Jesus took all that, he didn't turn around to me and say, remember what I did for you. Right? No. Christ looks at me and says, welcome, son. Come. Be an heir with me to the throne of the Father. That's preaching the gospel to yourself. I don't need to make that person feel belittled for what they're doing. Because when Christ had his chance to belittle me for what I had done, he didn't. In fact, he took it to the nth degree. So, God is nurturing us with this pure spiritual milk, and a way that we can be reminded of that is through preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus, into our lives every day. The gospel does not just save you one time. The gospel saves you daily, moment by moment. It should save you from your own devices. It should save me from putting back on the things that God called me to take off. God is nurturing us with this. This gospel is the pure spiritual milk. Number three, God satisfies. <coughs> Excuse me. God satisfies. I am thankful that God satisfies. Let's see verse 3. If indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. This is coming off of the last sentence, so I'll even go back up and read that real quickly. Like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So church, if we cannot take this off on our own, if we're not worthy of drinking this pure spiritual milk, we're not even worthy because our sin discounts us from being in the presence of God, then how can it happen? How can kindness flow from 
intrinsically unkind people? Because God satisfies. Because God was satisfied in Jesus. You can now be satisfied by God. The wrath that is intended for my malicious, hypocritical, slanderous, envious behavior, the wrath that is intended for that was poured out on Jesus. And when that happened at the cross, God the Father said, that wrath is satisfied. There's no more anger. There's no more wrath. There's no more condemnation needed. And Jesus, when he rose triumphantly from the grave, with open arms, says, if you are found in me, you are a co-heir with me in heaven. Those who place their faith in me can be found not on the receiving end of the wrath. I already did that. I received it. It was bad. It took me to the grave. But I came out of the grave. So since you're deserving of the grave, and I already went there, I'm welcoming you into the satisfaction. I deserve the grave. You deserve the grave because of this malice and this envy and this hypocrisy. And we could go on. The list is longer than what Peter said. He knows that's true. Sexual immorality, pride, anger. There's plenty of reasons for me to be belonging to the grave, belonging to the wrath. But Jesus says, welcome to the satisfaction. Because God was satisfied in Jesus, you can be satisfied by God. Then you read back up. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. But God, I can't do it. It's too hard. I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried. And God says, you're right. And Peter would say, you're right. Look to Jesus. Long for the pure spiritual milk that truly satisfies. And you say, but the other stuff is good sometimes and I want it and I yearn for it and even when I try to stop wanting it, I want it again and I want it more. And sometimes when I think I have my game face on and I'm ready for it and it blindsides me and I give in again, it's got me right there. And Peter, the apostle, and God the Father say, I know, look to Jesus. Jesus is nurturing you. And he's doing it with something that's not all that surprising. In the book of Romans, a beautiful scripture emerges as Paul is writing to some of these same people in the church in Rome. And he says, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. 
Remember the kindness has consequences thing? This works for us too. It's not just a cool thing they did on brain games. It's real. Paul said, you would not want to repent to an unkind God. No way. You mean turn, repenting is to turn away from what is in front of you, the sin or the, the temptation, and to turn to God. So you wouldn't want to repent from something you've done or from some things that you're, you're bound to do. Looking at those, turn to God if he's vindictive and malicious and hip- hypocritical and slanderous. Right? No. Who do we turn to, though? We turned to a kind God who instead of looking at what we are wearing in our natural state, he looks at what Jesus has taken off of us and put on. And the Bible says that when you are found in Christ Jesus, you are clothed with righteousness. In conclusion, put away, take off hypocrisy, slander, malice, envy, deceit, and put on the robe of righteousness prepared for you in Christ Jesus. Looking always to him, the founder and protector of your faith has given you a hope talked about in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would call us to simplify our lives by yearning and longing for salvation through Jesus alone, not through our hard works. We're thankful for you for the work that you did on the cross to satisfy the wrath that was intended for us. And we pray, God, we pray that we would be satisfied in you because of what Jesus has done. For your glory in Jesus' name, amen.